Everyone, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, This is the Evolution of Faith podcast, and I just want to say thank you to all who've listened and watched so far. Uh, We are found on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. Go find us if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or or Google. Uh, You can find us on YouTube. Go subscribe now. Uh, If you are listening on a platform that allows you to give a review would you please take time and give a review? Not only would we appreciate that, but also helps bump us up uh, so people could find us. So yeah, go look for us, go find us, go follow us. And uh, today I'm really excited about this conversation. Like I said, I'm David. And I'm Zach. Um, And today what we're going to look at is uh, a conversation that Rublet and I have been having back and forth in, in different areas of our life. And we just thought, hey, let's let's hop on a pod and, and talk about it. So uh, to give some context, you wrote an article a few weeks ago uh, on your on your blog, uh, and I got it pulled it up here called "The Doctrine of Accommodation and Penal Substitutionary Atonement." Rolls right off the tongue there, David. Little, little words. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of good theology words there. Um, but essentially, you you looked at this idea of the sacrifice and what happens on the cross and some of the misconceptions that in some way Jesus is torn apart from God. And there's this weird disconnect there in the Trinity and how that like shatters really good understanding of theology and the Trinity, if we hold to that. And, and within your article, you talked a lot about how, how should we understand sacrifice that happens in particularly with Jesus, but also in the old Testament, right? I mean, if, if you've read a lick of the Old Testament, you see sacrifice as something that the people participate in. If you've read, I know it's everyone's least favorite book, but if you've read Leviticus or uh, any of those early portions, what we call the law, right? The Torah, Leviticus, Numbers, and parts of Exodus, where we get into the system of sacrificing different animals and bringing burnt offerings to God, um, that that there's some confusion surrounding the purpose behind that. And as it leads up to Jesus and what we call his sacrifice on the cross, what's accomplished there, um, as well as just understanding the, the purpose behind the sacrifices in the Old Testament. So you wrote that. I'm mm-hmm. I'm obviously zooming over it and we'll we'll post it in the notes so people can yep. go and read it. Um, so you ha- you wrote that article. I then um, was teaching at the church that I work at. We were doing a big picture series. And I, in 30 minutes, <laughs> had to teach through the entire Old Testament. <laughs> so, well, the pastor before me taught Genesis 1 and 2, and I had Genesis 3 through Malachi. Um, That's amazing. So I'm trying to hit all these major ideas in the Old Testament. And one of the things that I, I tried to do was point towards God's heart in the sacrifice system and the things that he cared about. And um, I did get a little pushback from some people feeling like I didn't emphasize how important the sacrifices were and how restorative they are. Uh, part of my response was, hey, I'm trying to cover, you know, 927 chapters of the Bible in 30 minutes. Um, but it does seem like that sacrifice is something that's misunderstood in our Bibles um, and leads to not just to this being a theological conversation, which it will be, but but I think there's some practicality to us having good understanding of the Old Testament sacrifices, how they relate to Jesus, and how it relates to the way in which we live, what we care about, 
um, when we're called to obey God, how that's transformed. Mm. I, I want to read, and this will kind of set us up for a conversation here. Um, I have a ton of passages opened up, but I, I just want to read this short one. This is from Psalm 40. Psalm 40, right? Uh, this is verse starting in verse six. It says, sacrifice and offerings you do not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. And this, I mean, this passage, is, this is a little thing from the Psalm, is packed here with the tension that we're trying to look at here. In the Old Testament, it seems like God really cares about the people participating in the sacrifices, doing the sacrifices. That's like the number one thing. Um, for many people, when they look at the Old Testament, this is like the main idea here is, you know, you, you had to do these sacrifices and that's what covered your sin. If you failed to do so, that was like a major error. Jesus comes along. He is the ultimate sacrifice. And now we don't have to do it anymore. Kind of a simplified mm -hmm. framework. But then we read something like this in the Psalms where it's like, you don't really require these. You don't really care about them. You care about doing your will and that your law is written in my heart. And then you sit back and you're like, wait, isn't what you required, these sacrifices, isn't the law that's written on our heart, these burnt offerings, me taking an animal and killing them? Um, so I, I guess my, my question to you, Dave, is how do, how do we respond to, this is going to be a brunt of our conversation, but how do we respond to passages like this in the Old Testament yeah. that seem to push back on this high emphasis on substitute, you know, and sacrifice and understanding Jesus? Big question, but we'll, we'll go back and forth. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think the, the questions start off with what is what does God really want for yeah. us, with us, and how is He going to get there? Yeah, I, th I think that, that I think that that's kind of the question we need to start with: is what What does God really want, and how does He go about getting there? Um, and I think that that's where, when you ask that question, multiple things in the Old Testament, including sacrifice, that's where they find their place. So, yeah, yeah, and I like. We were talking earlier about, and you wrote about this in your article with the the sacrifice of Isaac, right? Mm -hmm. This really like pivotal moment in in the Old Testament where you have God telling Abraham to take his one and only son and go up to the mountain and sacrifice him, and it's it's kind of a, a it's a story that we read and we feel sick at first because we're like, why would God ask him to do that? And Abraham seems so quick to be like, okay. You know, like, yeah. Um, I, I, one of the interesting things in that whole story is how silent Abraham is throughout the whole thing. Doesn't really ever push back. Um, and you have this moment here where, where God, or excuse me, where Abraham is about to kill his son, and God steps in and and tells him, "No, you don't need to do this." And then He does provide. You know, in the bush, there's a there's a goat there for him to then sacrifice instead. And so that's where we get some of this idea here of, of a substitute, right? Instead mm -hmm. of him killing his son, a goat is there. Um, but what some scholars have pointed out, and, and I think this is the interesting piece to our conversation here, is that um, there's one interpretation of this, of, of God revealing that I will provide 
substitutionary things so that you don't need to kill, you know, your sons. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think that is an, an element there, but I think something that's missed that, that you talked a little bit about in your article and that we've gone back with is that God seems to be showing Abraham that these are the sacrifices I don't want. Like, I don't want you to be sacrificing other humans. And yep. I, I don't want to see that happen because that was a common practice of the day. And probably why Abraham wasn't so shocked by God's request is that's what the gods did in, in the ancient Near East was, was tell you to go and sacrifice your one and only son, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. Did you, anything else from your article that you felt like yeah. added to that? Yeah. Yeah. I, so I use a term and it's in the title, the doctrine of accommodation, uh, just to define that it, it is a practice. It's a, it's a Hebrew reading of scripture practice that, that, that is mostly pointed to in the early church, first and foremost, by Augustine. Augustine's a mixed bag. There's a lot of stuff he brings to the table. Uh, some of what he wrote in the book on uh, on Christian doctrine, that first book specifically, super helpful for me. So Augustine, and then there's other things about how he writes about uh, violence and the, the place of war now in an empire that, mm-hmm. that Christianity is behind that I'm like, fully disagree with. Some of how he talks, some uh, how he talks about sin and sin condition, uh, I believe, is his own shame and struggle from his party life being placed on, trying to figure it all out. And so I think he's a mixed bag, but he uses a term, doctrine of accommodation, which, like I said, is a practice of understanding. And what the doctrine of accommodation is is it is saying that that we have this this God that is beyond what we can understand. And what he does is he meets us in a way that we as humans with minds that are just, we can't fully comprehend God. He finds ways to connect with mm-hmm. us in ways that we can comprehend. And so in the Old Testament, what we're seeing is him doing this. And yeah. so uh, the covenantal system, when he uses covenant with uh, Noah, with Abraham with David with Moses um, even some of the language that's used in scripture back in the garden when he uses these means they would have already understood this because it's a practice of relationship that they already use and so God is saying you already use that system and that practice I'm gonna use it as well to meet with you to to bring your heart to a place where you understand me and ultimately turn you towards Jesus sacrificial system is also one of those systems. So their sacrificial system in, in, in their cultures there, I mean, it, it was, they already practice it. So with Abraham having a deity asking for a human sacrifice was not out of the picture. Yeah. Uh, and so the reason why you don't see pushback in the text, the reason why you don't see him arguing about it and it being this struggle is that Abraham, it's just not out of the norm for them to believe that a deity is asking them to sacrifice a human being, a family member, a son. And what I believe is happening here, like you said uh, and you alluded to, is that God is inviting him in. And after that substitute comes, if we want to talk about that, uh, God never asks for human sacrifice again. I believe that it's at that moment he actually turns us to say that this is a practice that he does not want. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, I, I want to I point to, and I talk about this in my article, Jesus does this with Peter and the disciples. 
you know, Jesus teaches about enemy love. He teaches about turning the other cheek. And there's this moment in Luke 22 where he talks to his disciples and he asks them to go buy a sword. And they say, we have two. And he says, that is enough. And so Jesus is asking them to actually bring a sword in the garden where he's about to be arrested. And you think to yourself, why? Like, is he going to fight off the the people who are arresting him? And um, what we see, if you see the text, Peter cuts off with the sword, he cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers and Jesus heals him. And what does he say? He says, he who lives by the sword dies by it. Right. And at that moment, and we quoted this in the last episode, uh, Tertullian says, you know, when Jesus disarmed Peter, he disarmed all Christians of the sword. And so what I believe in, in similar fashion, just like Jesus asked him to bring a sword so that he could disarm him, I think that what's happening is that God is asking Abraham to to bind Isaac to sacrifice him so that he could disarm him in that moment and, and, and never ask. It'll never be human sacrifice will never be asked of again. And it will never be a part of Mm. God's Yahweh's relationship with his people and the worship system ever again. Yeah. Yeah, and that, and and that's such a good way to to frame it that God is like accommodating with the system that they already have, but He's placing these rules of like, but let me tell you what I don't want to see within this, right? I mm-hmm. don't want to yep. see human sacrifices, and I'm accommodating by taking something you already know because we do see people throughout the scriptures presenting God's sacrifices even before it's ever established as a system in the Old Testament. I think part part of why I've, I've wanted to talk about this too is I think for some people, this part of the Old Testament is a big turnoff to reading about God and his people, right? Because this isn't a part of our, particularly in the West, our culture of like actual literal animal sacrifices and going to an altar and, and bringing an animal. And so when we read those passages, it feels a little like, ah, oh, man, this feels so otherworldly that, that God cares yeah. so much about blood being, you know, sprinkled on the altar and killing this animal. And, and, and just for us as, as Westerners, it just, it feels a little off-putting, but I think that idea of the accommodation there is really beautiful to say, well, that wasn't for them. So God took something that they already used and said, let me, let me use this system to point you towards what I do care about. And, um, and this isn't the end all be all right. Like really nothing is really happening in the sacrifice. God himself isn't being transformed by the sacrifices. Yeah. That's what I think. I don't think there's anything that's changing within God because an Israelite went and presented a, a, a sheep or a goat or a dove to the altar, God's wanting the sacrifice system to transform them. And I think that's something that we often mix up is that we yep. think in the old Testament, God is desiring these for himself that he needs to like, you know, beat up on some animal flesh to feel some sense of like, okay, well, I won't beat you up, but I'll beat this up, you know? And um, it's more to transform the people's heart. And I think that's where the, the real turn happens in the old Testament with the prophets. And I think, I mean, that was something I was trying to explain on, on my sermon here is that the prophets constantly. And as we read there in the Psalms are pointing people back to say, 
hey, this is actually what, what God really cares about. And if your sacrifices and these things that God has set up for you aren't pointing to that, then just, just stop them. Right. I mean, like, let me just read. Um, I have so many pulled up here. I think I read Amos five a while back, so I'll, I'll try not to, <laughs> to go back to that one, but you use this one, um, in your article. And this is one I've always found so fascinating. This is Jeremiah. Um, this is Jeremiah seven, uh, says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, add to your burnt offerings to the sacrifices and eat flesh. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them on the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them. Obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people. And you're like, wait, you did command them to do yeah. sacrifices and burnt offerings. But it's almost like he's pausing there and saying, no, 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 that's that's not the, the heart of what I was trying to do when I gave them the law. The heart of what I wanted them to do was to lead them into obedience. And we saw that again in the in the psalm that there's some sort of obedience that God is, is pointing them to. Um, in Isaiah 1, I won't read this whole thing, but in Isaiah 1, God tells them, stop bringing me offerings. Like, <laughs> stop with your, your festivals, your feasts, stop with, um, he says, I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and goats. Right. Like again, point yep. to the idea that like this isn't doing anything for me. God says they become a burden to me. Um, when you come with it, I my eyes, I hide them from you. And then what he says is, here's what I want you to do. And this is verse 17. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. And this is something we see all throughout the prophets. Again, like I, I have a ton of tabs open here of of passages. I won't go to all of them, but like where God is like reorganizing the things that he cares about. And I think like from a theological standpoint, and even there's some practicality here is we've, when we've read the old Testament, we've placed the sacrifice system at the yeah. top. This is how God is bringing about redemption. This is like how he's solving the problems in the old Testament is through these sacrifices. Then you get to the prophets and they're like, stop them. Yeah. <laughs> like, because they aren't going towards, they're not pointing you towards the thing that God really cares about justice, righteousness, freeing the oppressed, defending the orphan, right? Like taking care of other people, bringing about justice and righteousness. That's that the heart of God's what God cares about. Yep. And uh, that's a lot harder to like, honestly, the sacrifice system, pretty easy, right? Yeah. Like pretty easy thing to go and do. If you don't have the money to afford a certain animal, then you can bring this animal or you can bring this. It's like a, it's not that hard to do, but taking up righteousness and justice, like that's the difficult stuff. And that's the heart of what, what God cares about there and what it's pointing towards, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that goes along with, yeah, you answered the, the, the question. The question I posed is, what does God want and how is he going to get there? You know, and I think that, you know, going back to our first uh, first full episode that we did here uh, on this particular uh, podcast, um, we talked about the prophets and I don't I don't think that the prophets are read enough, um, but yeah. it's in the <laughs> prophets. We see the heart of God speaking to his people and the same 
the same way in which his people get off from their vocation, uh, we do today as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you and you think about what the prophets are doing, right? Like they're they're going to the people and saying, "You are not listening to the covenant." And what's what's interesting is that, in in essence, they are doing these things of the law, right? And so you could kind of picture the scenario of them listening to the prophets, being like, "What do you mean we're not listening to God's covenant? We're doing the sacrifices, we're we're doing the festivals and stuff." And the prophet coming along and saying, "No, you're missing the heart." of really what God cares about. And I think why this conversation is so, so important is I think when we read the old Testament, we elevate the sacrifice system to the top. This is how God is solving the problems. This is what he cares about. And it it misses that hard stuff like justice, righteousness, that that kind of seeps into our, our practice as well too. It causes us to take a step back and say, are there activities or religious things that we really elevate in our faith that we think this is what God cares about more and all this stuff about caring about justice, caring about the people around me, defending the oppressed, like, mm, no, that's, that's socialism. That's, you know, yeah. attach a word that I can just throw at it. That's, um, no, that's legalism, right? I, I've heard that a lot of yeah. that's legalism. Um, God just, you know, he just cares about my prayers or my worship. And you have these moments in the prophets where, again, going back to that passage in Amos where God says, I will blo- I will cover my ears to yeah. not listen to your worship music because you have disregarded the, pe- the people in the land you've disregarded others and that's God's heart. Right. Um, yeah. Something I was talking about my, my, my message on that Sunday was to say, God definitely deeply cares about our individual relationship with him, but that's all he cared about. The old Testament would be really short. <laughs> he can, yeah. he can figure that out, but the old Testament is so much working about the relationship between others that, that has been broken because of the fall that God really cares about how we relate to other people. And the sacrifice system was supposed to point us towards that, that each time I took an animal to the altar or brought it to the priest, or each time I brought these offerings, it was to remind me that sin, my sin and my failures don't just impact me. They impact my community and they impact others. And that whole, that community needs to be purified. Um, You know, the day of atonement was this once a, once a year reminder that we as a community of people need to send our sins away, you know, and that we need to purify ourselves because we're, we're together. We're a community. There's this like relation to other people aspect. That's deeply a part of this. And so I think when we, even when we change that in our theology for the Old Testament, I think that can start to impact the way we live now as, as followers of Jesus, who, yes, we don't do sacrifices, right? We don't follow that part of the Old Testament law, but we might have replaced that with something else and have disregarded, again, the heart of, of Jesus and what he cares about. Right When he teaches, one of the, my favorite things Jesus says in, um, in his teaching is, if you go to the altar to sacrifice 
and you mm-hmm. remember that you have upset a brother or there's some, you know, disagreement and, you know, there's a disunity between you, leave that at the altar and go fix that relationship. Like yeah, yeah. it's just that beauty of that can wait. Like the sacrifice can wait, but this can't, you have yeah. to reconcile with other people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The Sermon on the Mount, we see, we see the heart of God in a way that, you know, Jesus enters in, in, you know, we talked about this prophet, priest, king, and that prophetic work of he's still talking about the heart of God in the midst of a religious system that is focused so much on ritual and, and legalism. I want to share a story real quick, and then we, we could uh, we could go around. But I was at a church um, um, that really struggled with the outreach piece, really struggled with knowing uh, they have very ritualistic worship. And we had a lot of homeless people in the community and a lot would come and honestly live in our parking lot. And one Sunday morning after a rain, there was an RV that tried to get out of the parking lot and got stuck in the dirt or the muddy side of the parking lot. And so that we come in for church that, that morning, there's this homeless person's RV stuck in the mud. And uh, we're getting prepared for worship. And then we all circle together to pray and one of the members of our board prayed, hey, God, I'm, I'm really frustrated that there's somebody stuck out in our parking lot and I'm, I'm sidetracked by it. And what wound up happening was uh, this individual who was on our board was so sidetracked by it that they called the police on this person too. And so it wound up being a conversation of like, oh my goodness, like God literally brought our mission field to our door. <laughs> yeah. And what did we do? We called the police on them Hmm. because they were getting in the way of our worship rituals. And uh, anytime I think about that heart of of what God really wants, uh, I think about that story because that was so telling of, of how we now in our day and age get so focused on the wrong thing and the wrong direction. I, I hate using the term wrong because it's very black and white, but that's that's what it is according to what we see in the yeah. heart of God with the practice of the prophets. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, I mean, just like, yeah, seeing something as a problem um, that's, you know, disabling our ability to go and worship this Sunday and, ah, oh, there's this problem here that's stopping us. And you're like, wait, that's the heart of God is, Put, put that aside first, you know, and that can wait. God doesn't need us to sing the songs right now. Let's go help this guy out. Yeah. That's a, a definite picture of it. Um, well, I think, I think we, that's a great note to end on there with that story. Um, I, we'll link your story here or your article, because I think what we didn't have time to get into, but maybe another time we could get into is also how this impacts the way in which we see what Jesus does on the cross. Yeah. Um, because obviously there is a sacrifice aspect to that. Hebrews points to that as Jesus ending the system of sacrifice. There's a whole, all these theories of atonement within there. And, and I thought you did an excellent job in your article of addressing how does this understanding of the Old Testament and the sacrifices impact the way in which we see what is accomplished by Jesus at the cross. And so I wish we had time to get into that, but that's a whole, I feel like that leads us into another conversation day. So we'll get into that again. Yeah. So we'll link your, your article there at the end. Um, but thank you. Thank you, David, for writing that. Um, we'll link my message too, as well, you know, yeah. so if you want a whole yeah. idea there of the old Testament, um, but, but thank you guys for, for listening. I hope this 
helps maybe reframe some thinking of the Old Testament, but also points us in the direction of what God cares about in his heart. So um, thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome.